Welcome everyone to our latest edition of our NCAA social series dealing with COVID-19. Pleased to be joined as I am every week with Dr. Brian Hainline, our NCAA Chief Medical Officer, Bryn Carlson from Kansas State. She is an outside hitter on the volleyball team, a member of the Student Athlete Advisory Committee, major dietetics, kinesiology, and nutrition, and she had 480 kills in her career, 309 last season. And Josh Paschal from Kentucky, an outside linebacker, a combined 13 total sacks that includes sacks for loss, 34 tackles. Um, he's a family science major. Uh, but most importantly, he has overcome cancer, uh, beat melanoma, had three surgeries, and is doing wonderful. Uh, I want to start with you, Josh. How are you doing right now, especially during this pandemic, after everything that you've already dealt with in your life? I'm doing great. Um, I'm, I'm originally from Maryland, but right now I'm spending time with family in Alabama. And so, you know, I'm, I'm loving the weather down here. Um, it's 80 degrees every day. So it's everything that I could ask for. So what has life been like for you uh, during this time where we've all had to be in some form or fashion at home, Josh? Um, it's been great. You know, it's just a time where you can spend time with family. Um, you know, that's uh, it's hard to uh, be able to do that. Uh, being a student athlete and so just being able to have this time with family and just um, you know sit back and you know we're still working out and getting things done but this is a time where you can like cherish those moments with family and um, you know just get through this pandemic. And Bryn you are in Manhattan Kansas. Uh, Kansas State's campus uh, here in late May is not open yet so what's life been like for you there? Yeah, um, it's been good so far just to get back and, you know, see some of my friends at least at a bit of a distance. Um, I spent most of my time at home in Minnesota, but decided to come back uh, to start preparing for our return to campus. So it's been great to be back. I've really missed it a lot, although um, it has been great to spend time with family. I think a lot of student athletes, including myself, are uh, excited to get back into the swing of things. So we were, we're going to dive into what life could be like this summer for volleyball and certainly in the fall and of course for football. But Dr. Hainline, I want to start with you at this juncture here, past Memorial Day weekend, where are we in terms of student athletes voluntarily being allowed to return to campus? We see that from the NCAA level, but we got to obviously wait state by state, school by school. What are you hearing at the ground level as to what could be accepted here in the month of June as we approach it shortly? Yeah, well, thanks for that question, Annie. First, I want to just give a shout out to Brennan and Josh and thanks them for, for, for coming with us and, and sharing their insights. So, you know, as of uh, June, um, schools can begin um, what we call voluntary workouts. And, and so we've heard from different schools, some will be beginning as soon as the first week of June, but some aren't going to start till July's. And, and part of it has to do with what's going on locally um, and, and that area of the country. And part of it has to do with just the readiness of, of, of the member school and working in conjunction with their local public health department. So there's not just one set date. And I think every school has to feel that, that they're ready to do it right. Yeah, we got two interesting sports here in the fall. Can, you know, football, obviously, tons of contact. And it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Volleyball played indoors, obviously. Uh, in the fall, and that's a whole other component to what we're going to uh, go through here in, in the coming months. So, Josh, I want to start with you. In terms of your anticipation of, at some point in the near future, getting back onto campus, being close to your teammates, 
What do you anticipate that's going to look like, at least at the beginning? Um, I, I expect it to just be different. Um, I expect it to be a new norm. Um, I know that when we get back, of course, that we're going to have to go through the testing phases and that our groups are going to be much smaller than what they normally were. But at the end of the day, I know everybody is going to be so happy to be back, to be around each other, even if it's at smaller groups at a time. But we just want to get back and just um, get ready for the season. And hopefully um, we can go back to the season um, as normal as possible. And in terms of your past, uh, because you did have cancer, um, you know, and obviously every individual is different in terms of their immune system, their risk factor. Uh, how concerned are you uh, with this pandemic because of your past history? Um, I'm not too concerned, but also at the end of the day, of course, I'm thinking about that. As far as um, contracting the virus, I'm wondering um, if I do get the virus, how would that go and things like that. But I know when we get to school that everybody's going to take the ne necessary precautions to make sure that um, that nobody infected comes near the team and that even if a player is infected, that they know right away um, from testing every morning and things like that. So, Bryn, volleyball is going to sort of be in that second phase, football, men's and women's basketball first. So volleyball players are going to have to wait. Um, what do you think that'll be like, especially with you being already in the campus area as volleyball players have to sort of wait their turn before they get into, you know, an athletic facility, into a training situation? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone is obviously anxious to get back to work, um, but we do recognize that there is a need for a sort of phase in process. And so, you know, that makes sense. Someone has to go first and it doesn't always necessarily mean that that's going to be you. And so... Um, it'll be interesting and good to see how that process works. And I think we'll probably keep my team really safe, seeing how it goes with um, football and uh, men's and women's basketball at the beginning and middle of June, and then kind of phasing us in as we get into July, doing those voluntary team activities together. Um, I think that a lot of us are just happy that we're even going to be able to start that in July, because of course it's been very up in the air. There's been a lot of unknowns and, uh, I think it's very hopeful, the fact that we are beginning to kind of get back into that. Uh, there was some concern that maybe we wouldn't have as much of a time period in order to kind of retrain and get into that volleyball um, mindset as well as physical uh, shape as a team because it is such a large team sport. So although, you know, we're all anticipating it and we want it to come sooner rather than later, I think it is a positive step in the right direction that we do get to come back in July and have, you know, a month of good training together as a team before we get back into more of the bulk of our season. You know, Josh mentioned this new normal and, and Dr. Hainline, I want you to add here in a second, but I'm just curious, Bryn, uh, you know, I've covered NCAA volleyball and I, I feel like almost literally after every single point, someone is slapping hands, you know, it's a, it's a double high five. It's something every single time. How do you, how are you going to adjust to that where there's going to be none of that at least not at the beginning. Yeah, it's definitely going to be different. Um, you know, connectedness, especially physical connectedness, is something that our coach stresses a lot to us, being close to each other, um, touching each other as much as possible, even though that sounds a little weird. Um, but it's definitely going to be an adjustment, and I think that it's something that hopefully can be mitigated for the most part just through the types of drills and practice plans that are going on, as well as lifts and conditions. Um, making things go really fast paced. So maybe there's not as much time for that uh, typical connection that we're 
used to and then kind of slowly reintegrating that into um, the normal volleyball play as as you're used to seeing on TV. And so, yeah, it will be interesting and it will probably be different. But uh, as it was said before, it's going to have to be a new normal. And I think that everyone is just going to be so thrilled to even be in the gym and playing and being with teammates and friends that um, it's going to feel great regardless of a, if it's not exactly the same as it may have been in the past. So Dr. Hainline, there are, there are not sort of universal standards for every institution um, and every state and obviously every city, yet um, there's going to be some baselines. What should these athletes expect when they get onto campus uh, for this first phase and then maybe even moving into phase two deeper into the summer? Well, again, even uh, as each campus treats its students generally, we're going to see uh, a difference. But I think what we're seeing in most of the campuses is that there will be a testing of, of the student athletes. Um, they're going to be asking the athletes who have been in, in higher risk situations. For example, they were uh, traveling in a place where they couldn't control their distancing, say on a bus or even on an airplane. Um, or if they've been close to someone who's been sick. So those, those individuals will be uh, in self-quarantine uh, for, for up to two weeks. There will be the testing and that will also determine things. And then the, the athletes, especially, they're really going to be asked to do a, a, a daily self-health check-in. So all students will be, but for the athletes, before they even go into an athletics facility, they'll be going through a checklist and they'll be taking their temperature. Um, and, and there will be really a badge of honor that, that, you know, I have to do this right because it's not just about protecting me. It's more importantly, it's protecting those around me. And it's especially protecting people like their coaches and, and others that, that are not necessarily in, in the same risk category as, as the young athletes. I mean, we look at the, the data that have come from from young individuals and, you know, they're more, no more likely to die from COVID-19 than from the flu. And they're actually much more likely to die from, from suicide as an example. So you put that into a certain perspective, it, it, it really is, is a very interesting uh, public health uh, perspective. But because they can tolerate this disease well, they can spread it easily as well. So that's going to be where the athletes are going to be very, very courageous, I think, in making certain that that they're taking care of all of those around them and, and, and being careful. So you're going to see those sort of daily health checks. And then you're going to also, you know, one of the things that, that was sort of a cool thing almost to do for, for athletes was to hang out in the training room. And that's just not going to be happening anymore. Everything is going to be much more regulated. And, and you're going to see that there's going to be physical distancing in the gym workout space and the, and the training room space. Even the meals will be different. You know, it's no longer going to be the cafeteria style meal. So, so they'll be seeing a, a, a new norm, as, as Josh said. But, but also, you know, when you talk to the student athletes across the country, they're really ready for this, too. So Dr. Hainline, Josh, makes a great point about sort of self-policing, uh, that student athletes and students, when they get on campus, are really going to have to take a step back and you can't tough it out anymore. If you don't feel well, you are not supposed to go to the practice, to the game. And also the point he just raised about, you know, a lot of us talk about, well, it's not gonna affect your generation as much, but then you forget about your coaching staff, your administrators, maybe your athletic trainer, um, you know, your equipment manager who may have pre-existing health conditions who may be much older. So Josh, how do you think your peers 
will handle that aspect that if they don't feel well when they wake up in the morning, they have to say, you know what, I cannot go to practice, even if it's the day before a big game or if it is on game day. Um, I know it would be hard for uh, an athlete to be able to, um, you know, man up and just tell them and just uh, tell the trainers that they're not feeling well the day before the game. But at the end of the day, right now, that's something that we have to do. Um, we have coaches with pre-existing medical uh, conditions. And, of course, we want to protect them. And that's something that everyone in the facility, they love. Um, all of our coaches, we love each other. And we're going to do whatever it takes um, to ensure the safety of everybody. And I know that um, even the young guys, um, this really comes from leadership. So the older guys, we're going to have to step up and we're going to have to show and set the example for the younger guys, um, even if they get sick and just to pass that along. Bryn, what about you in, in volleyball and, and really as a leader on your campus where you're going to have access to other student athletes? I mean, how much do you think that narrative will permeate through Kansas State and saying, you know what, if you're not feeling well, you cannot come to the facility on this day? Yeah, I mean, I think very similar to what Josh said, it's obviously difficult to have to make that decision for yourself um, or for even a teammate if you think that people are feeling sick. But I think that the most important uh, aspect of that would be to think about the bigger picture as we've been talking about the people who are vulnerable in our lives and how, although it may not affect us, there could be uh, large ramifications for those who are older um, and in those higher risk categories. And so I do think that it's something that I'm going to focus on a lot, um, as well as other leadership within Kansas State Athletics and through K-State SAC, that we're really going to make a push for, you know, it's okay if you can't go to practice. It's okay if you're not feeling sick. And really, it's best because I know that, you know, my team and all the rest of the teams at K-State would much rather be down, you know, one player rather than have an administrator or a coach get really sick or to have a whole team um, who ends up with, uh, you know, COVID-19 due to not reporting or not um, necessarily saying that you were feeling sick. So I think it is a challenge and I think it's going to be hard, especially once it comes time to um, be playing matches and playing games. And, you know, as athletes, we always want to be available and out on the court. And as you said earlier, uh, it's a bit of a part of the culture that you tough it, you know, you tough it out if you're feeling sick or if you're not feeling the greatest. And I think that that's going to have to be a cultural shift that's made um, within athletics that we can't be doing that anymore because it's just not safe. Um, the, the point that also I'm seeing now on college campuses in terms of what's being released from these school presidents of what may happen in the fall, it's something you and I have talked about quite a bit about uh, for lack of a better term, almost like a COVID dorm if someone tests positive. And we've talked about that at the student athlete level. What do you think that could look like in the summer or into the fall if someone does test positive in this new normal of how these schools will handle that and extract that person and once they trace anyone else that might be positive? I, I do think we're gonna see something that the student athletes are really going to be an example uh, perhaps to the whole student body and, and really even to young adults that, look, let's be responsible and let's take this seriously. And, and so that's a wonderful thing that that sport can do as a subculture. Getting back to when, when someone tests positive. So the norm right now is if someone tests positive, that individual goes into quarantine for, for about 14 days and that individual's close contact. So 
if you're looking at a, a, a sport like football or even volleyball, so when we were when we were putting the level of contact risk, and initially we had volleyball in the medium risk, football was in a high risk. And someone said something actually similar to what you said, Andy. Have you ever watched volleyball? I mean, <laughs> so so we put volleyball in, into a high risk because they are really very, very close to one another. And so it would mean that those individuals who have a high risk exposure would either need to go in quarantine for 14 days or there's a paradigm that's worked out. And that paradigm is based on what we know about this infection. So when someone becomes infected, they start shedding the virus on days two and three and usually don't start developing symptoms until day five. So it means if that individual is not in quarantine, that there has to be a testing paradigm where you're looking at some, something like days two or day three or day five or day seven. And, and so that's what each school is, is, is going to be doing and, and working it out with the institution and, and with the, the local uh, public health facility. But, you know, short of everyone going in quarantine, there has to be some sort of a paradigm for making certain that you really don't have, a, a, you know, an enormous amount of spreading in a short period of time. Josh, how comfortable are you with testing potentially, you know, depending upon the cost and the availability? Um, you know, is it daily? Is it every other day? Is it weekly? Uh, how much do you want and hope that your team, as we lead into games and the opposing team, once you get into competition, will be tested? Um, I hope that's a priority. And um, I know it will be. I'm hoping that it will probably be around once a week. Um, you know, it would be hard to do that every day, of course. But I know that once a week would be a good goal to set. We can do that maybe before every game starts. Uh, the day before, once teams get, away teams come to the hotel, they can get tested or even before they leave. So if someone is affected, they won't have to make that away trip. So whatever the NCAA or our SEC committee uh, decides, you know, we're going to have to follow that and we're going to trust it. Brian, how, how do you think the coaches will deal with um, the waiting game, if you will, and, and the patience that they're going to have to have because adding in testing, sanitation, um, there is going to be a lot of time in between maybe even drills, certainly practice, where you're going to have to be patient because they're going to have to either clean a station or they're going to have to wait for the players to get tested before they can come on to the practice court or field. How do you think that will test the coaching staffs? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely going to be a big challenge for coaching staffs. I know that they're already anxious for us to be back on campus, having lost, you know, a few months in the spring of potential training. And so, so definitely going to be a challenge for them, I think, to have to adjust to that. But uh, as we've been speaking about before, it is going to be an adjustment period for everyone. And I think that that's what they're going to have to adjust to. Um, maybe it means that practices have to be a little bit longer. Maybe it means that we need to have a little bit more time in between a practice session and a lift or a practice and a run. Um, but I think that our coaches genuinely have our best interests at heart. And I think that many student athletes can say that and they care about our safety uh, above, you know, the production that they're going to get out of us. And so I think that they're going to take it really seriously um, because our safety is a priority to them. And I think that the way that uh, the NCAA and our conference and my institution has responded, has done a really good job of um, showing the seriousness and the need for, um, you know, this shutdown of athletics. And so as we kind of 
return back into a new normal, I think they're going to recognize the need to be really serious about, um, you know, sanitization and testing and distancing. And they're going to realize that, you know, it's important to do those things so that we don't have any sort of backslide um, because of bad practice. And so I have confidence in, you know, my institution and and the coaching staffs at other institutions that they're going to put the safety at the highest priority for their athletes. And I'll tell you also, flexibility and practice times, we're already seeing from universities that they're going to stretch the school day out to get smaller classes. It's going to be probably from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Uh, so they're going to probably have to be flexible with practice times. Uh, locker rooms, right now they're off limits. At some point, they're going to have to be uh, available. Um, if we can go back at least at least uh, the last couple of years for you, Josh, I don't need you to name names, but... Uh, uh, how does the hygiene have to change in a locker room, especially a football locker room? Well, with the football locker room, first of all, everybody, when I mean everybody, is going to have to shower now. Uh, I mean, of course, <laughs> that should be a given, but, you know, and now everybody, every single person in the locker room better shower before they leave. And also, uh, you know, just with picking up things and uh, making sure that everything is sanitized in that locker room, always going to have to be an emphasis. And so it's going to start, you know, with the leaders and everything and just setting examples and setting that new standard that everyone had to set. And it's going to trickle down to the freshmen, and hopefully they'll pass that on to uh, when they reach our age. What about on the locker room for you, Brent? Yeah, um, I think leading by example is going to be a big thing. I think also there is probably some argument to um, what role a manager is going to play in certain locker room duties. Um, how, does, how do we go about washing... Um, the clothes and how do we go about kind of mixing that? Do we need to be very separate uh, with each individual person or is that something that the athletes need to take upon themselves? I think these are all questions that, you know, maybe don't immediately come to mind, but are really important. I think that um, we're going to definitely see that my team is blessed to have, you know, a larger space. And so we're going to be able to spread out, I think a little bit better, but definitely there'll be some concern I'm sure with, uh, institutions or programs that do have a smaller shared space. And um, I think there's going to have to be some creative solutions that we have to come up with that first for that. But yeah, just really the emphasis on being clean and being sanitary. And I'm sure that we're going to have um, a lot of hand washing and a lot of um, hand sanitizer stations all over the place. But I have confidence in my team and their ability to keep themselves clean. So hopefully it all goes well for us. You know, Dr. Halen, Britt make, makes a great point. The layers of this, um, you know, and I've seen this countless times. Josh knows this, especially with a football team. Those managers, you know, the, the football players after a game, basketball players, I think probably the same for volleyball, maybe, I don't know. But, you know, they'll just throw their, their, their stuff into a big pile in the middle of the locker room. Then the managers collect it all, especially on the road, and then they go wash it. Um, you know, in big bags. Uh, that's one example where that might have to change. What, what are so many layers like that that may have to be different, certainly this fall? Oh, it just it just goes to every every imaginable scenario. And, and you know, again, we had said this, uh, I think, several weeks ago on, on this show. It, it, it reminds me back in the in the AIDS epidemic when we didn't really know anything about it. And all of a sudden there was this new norm of any time there was blood and how it was handled. And and it really, and to this day, the, those criteria have, have remained the same. So 
Um, and, and Bryn talks about some of the locker rooms may not be as large, and it may mean that it's either a staggered entry into the locker room or that maybe it would be better to shower in the dorm because there's just not the ability to wait for two hours for everyone that needs a shower to take a shower. And then when it comes to the handling of clothes, so we know that the CDC has, has said more recently that the shared surfaces are, are really much lower risk than had been um, anticipated. So, you know, people aren't walking around with those Lysol spray cans and, 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 and spraying everything that they see. But, but it is true as well. I mean, the managers were, were taking, you know, an enormous amount of equipment and so forth and how they handle that. You know, some equipment, it is possible that it, it could have the viral particles on it more than other equipment. And so that's going to have to be looked at. And so, and all of that is going to take a lot more time um, but the 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 body, yeah. But but the creative solutions, I think Bryn said it best. So you know, we, there's broad guidance that actually has gone out to the membership again this week. Um, but every member school is going to have to look at their space and figure out how to get it right. So, Dr. Hanley, we've had, we've, had uh, we've talked about this before, but now we've got two athletes here: uh, the football and the volleyball. At what point do you think in these various phases? Would you, uh, as a, a medical officer, do you think it'll be comfortable for them to actually share the primary ball in their sport? Yeah, so even that's evolving, uh, Andy. We, we, we had a, uh, a, a debate today with, with several members of the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine. And so originally we were saying in phases one and phase two that, that maybe the, the ball sharing is just off limits. But what if you have two athletes who want to pass the ball and they both use hand sanitizer beforehand and they're not touching their their face is is, is that safe and so these debates are, are evolving so what we were thinking even a few weeks ago that's starting to shift as as the cdc guidance has shifted but generally speaking phase one is really small groups we want to make sure that everyone gets it right Phase two, we start getting the groups larger, but we're still really respecting the issues of, of distancing. And, and a lot of the times the athletes are, are gonna have masks, not all the time. And phase three doesn't mean all of a sudden, well, we passed phases one and two, and, and so now it's back to normal. Phase three is, is, is you know where there is more risk because there is higher contact. And that's where the athletes, the coaches, and, and the institutions, the athletic staff, everyone has to be more vigilant. And that's where the testing paradigms start coming in as well. So, uh, you, you, you know, it's not like all of a sudden in phase three, this virus goes away or, or we've somehow eaten it. So, so it, it, that's when everything really gets tested. And we want to make sure in phases one and two that the institutions really feel ready to go into phase three. I just want to quickly uh, on the fan aspect, because here after Labor, excuse me, after Memorial Day, um, there's a lot of chatter about now possibly allowing fans, you know, a third of a, of a stadium, obviously in the SEC, that's a huge deal. Uh, college volleyball is probably one of the best and loudest fan bases in a sport not named basketball or football. And so that's a big part of it. Uh, I'll start with you, Josh. Um, one thing we know that it's highly unlikely that there would be any kind of sold out stadium. So if anything, it'd be, you know, a smaller percentage or maybe no fans. What do you think that would be like uh, if you are able to play these games in the fall? And we all hope you are. But in an atmosphere that would not be what you've had in the past. 
Well, it's going to be different um, because, you know, with, with SEC football, is known for their fans and is, is known for, you know, great football, but also great atmospheres. And so if we switch that up, and of course, you know, it, it's going to be necessary. And that's what I'm expecting personally to happen. And so if there's no fans or if it's just um, even um, have capacity, then it's going to be different. But at the end of the day, as long as we get to play football, then I know everything. Uh, everybody will be happy. Even the fans will be happy. They'll be able to watch the games um, on TV or through any streaming services. And, um, you know, I just know that it will make everybody happy regardless, just as long as we play football. Brynn, how about for volleyball? Yeah, um, at Kansas State, we are very, very lucky to have an amazing support system and fan base that's super strong. Um, and our attendance is really great. So it definitely will give Ahern Fieldhouse a bit of a different vibe if we can't uh, have that normal attendance that we're used to. But I do also have to say that volleyball players uh, have experience with this type of crowd, um, either very small or sometimes even no fans during uh, preseason non-conference tournaments when you are playing uh, two teams playing at a neutral site. And so we have, you know, experienced that before. Of course, it's not the same um, as a home match in Ahern with our rowdy fans. It's not quite as fun, but I think similar to what Josh has said, um, we're most concerned about being able to come back and actually play and uh, be together with our team and compete again. And so even if it may not be exactly as we expected it to be, um, I know that everyone's going to be very excited to get back on the court um, and compete with other teams across the country. Um, but yeah, it will be different and that's just going to be okay. All right. One last thing around the, the three of you here and Dr. Hayline, I just want to start with you because I think we're on week 10 here and it's almost like one of these charts, our testing chart, you know, as that goes up, I feel like our optimism, if we were to graph it, it's gone up every single week. Uh, it's kind of amazing when you think back the last two months, how things have changed. Why do you think we're at a different place now here in late May and a much different sense of optimism than we were, you know, two weeks, three weeks, six weeks ago? Well, I think a lot of it, Andy, is is data driven. And so whenever we're making very important decisions, public health decisions, policy decisions, you always want to have data. And two months ago, we just didn't really know what we were dealing with. We were just starting to get the analyses from China, from not even from uh, Italy yet. And now we have a lot of thoughtful analyses. We understand this disease more. We it's still, you know, we understand the seriousness of it, but we also understand how it is likely to affect young adults, how it's likely to affect higher risk individuals. And then our infrastructure has changed considerably. We're, we're seeing the shifts in, in testing paradigms that are, that are really changing week by week. And so we become more optimistic that we can do large scale testing, that we can do really good surveillance, which, which this is gonna take. So, so I think it's the data that has uh, brought the optimism and, and, and really the willingness to, to take the data and to move forward. And, and you know, it's sort of this balancing act. Do we, do we stay inside and, and you know, when are we, how long are we gonna stay inside? It could be what, till 2022 or something? Or, or do we say, look, we understand it's time to go out. It's time to do it safely. It's time to really protect those that are, that are going to be doing sport or going into society. And, and it's all data driven. But I think the optimism this week, more than anything, Andy, it's beyond the data. It's, it's being with two student athletes 
And and just when you're with the we, with the student athletes and they speak about their desires for sport and and how they want to be models and and when you really think about it, they're they're on the front line of something that is just exceptional. We haven't seen in over a hundred years, and they understand it's going to be different and and they accept that responsibility and and that's just something that we really look up to as our our student athletes. I appreciate that, Dr. Hanlon. I want to give Josh and Bryn the last word here. Um, because as he said, you are the student athletes. You're the ones that are going to be out there entertaining us, going to school, your peers as students, as well as student athletes. A couple months ago, we didn't know if this were, this were possible, plausible in any form. So for Josh and Bryn, how much, and this is voluntary here, certainly in June and into July, but how much do you want to play your sport, football and then volleyball come the fall of 2020. Start with you, Josh. Well, I don't know how to explain how much. Uh, that's just like what everyone wants. Um, if we did a survey of, of the whole team and asked who wants to play football um, coming this fall, I'm sure it would be in the 90s to um, 100%. And, you know, we'll do whatever it takes to do so. Uh, we'll take whatever precautions we need to. We'll follow whatever rules and we'll adapt to whatever comes our way. But, you know, we'll, we want to be ready to play football uh, come this fall, and we'll do whatever it takes. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with all of those things. I think that everyone is extremely excited and very anticipatory of coming back. Um, volleyball is such a huge passion for me. It is for my whole team. And, you know, this opportunity to play Division One athletics is something that, you know, all of us have worked for for years and we're fulfilling dreams through um, our competition and our ability to play at this level. And so I think I am going to be extremely uh, excited and very thankful for the opportunity to come back, um, not only from, you know, the opportunity to compete, but also just all of the benefits that come with playing sports. You know, it's it's hard to lose your sport. It's hard mentally, it's hard socially, and it's hard emotionally. And so being able to kind of reconnect with those teammates um, and be back into, you know, your comfort zone and the place that you love is something that I am counting down the days until we get to do. Well, I'll tell you, Bryn, uh, we can't wait to see you on the court at Kansas State. Bryn Carlson, you've had a phenomenal career uh, I'm sure you will have an exceptional season coming up here in the fall of 2020. Uh, Josh Pascal, uh, you've overcome cancer. So, you know, COVID, you're gonna, you're not going to affect you. You've already beaten cancer here. Uh, we're certainly hopeful that to see you on the field, uh, sacking quarterbacks in the SEC for Kentucky. Dr. Brian Hainline, the chief medical officer from the NCAA, I know you're incredibly busy. Appreciate all the time we have every week discussing COVID-19. Hopefully soon we won't have to, but it's been what we've been doing the last 10 weeks here at NCAA. And so for everyone out there, stay safe. We're making incredible progress. Look for voluntary uh, workouts on these college campuses in June and into July. We'll continue this conversation right here at NCAA and all our social media handles. I'm Andy Katz. We really appreciate all the engagement. Stay safe, everyone. Thanks for watching.